audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. Good morning. I have the privilege of reading Revelation 7, 9 to 17. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lord, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They've been, they have their excuse me, they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God. Well, good morning, church. Sorry about my mic. I'm wearing a sweater again, which means it's going to be all over the place. That's all right. Um, Wrapping up our sermon series this morning, uh, the sermon series we've been in for the last four weeks of looking at our vision as a church, the Emmanuel Church, and it's been great for me at least. I hope it's been great for you. It's been the first time I've been able to walk through it with you, and just really thankful to God that I've been able to refocus my mind and my heart and, and why we exist uh, as Emmanuel Church here in Birmingham, Alabama, and I hope it's been a good reminder for you as well. Next week, we're going to Begin our sermon series in First and Second Samuel. We'll be there for a, a while, um, so I hope I hope you're excited about that. I am. Um, it'll be our first time through an Old Testament book since I've been here, and so I'm grateful and looking forward to that. Let me pray again for us, just that God would focus us in now on His Word. Let me pray for us, Father. I do thank you for. This picture we have here in Revelation 7 of conquering king, a lamb who's made his people white and pure and holy. And I'm thankful for that. I pray now that you help us to not explain away this text, but to enter into it and ground us in the hope that things will get better because Christ has overcome. Open our eyes now by the Holy Spirit to see and believe it and cling to it when there's nothing left to cling to. Pray these things in Christ's name, amen.
I think it's uh, something we can all agree upon to um, believe to a certain extent that this world is a pretty dangerous place. You know, we can be insulated sometimes from the danger others experience on a regular basis because we live in an affluent country, an affluent city. But it doesn't remove the fact that this world is filled with, you know, to quote Martin Luther, mortal ills prevailing, threatening to undo us. And I just think about this last year, year and a half of major events that are going on in our world. There's an extremely bloody war going on in Ukraine, an unjust war with Russia. There's the Taliban that have retaken Afghanistan and brought back a lot of really hard waves there. There's mass shootings, it seems like almost on a regular basis we hear about in the news. I mean, Tyree Nichols, we prayed, lamented last week over the situation in Memphis where he loses his life at the hands of some unjust police officers. Chinese spy balloons are floating across our country and places in the world doing who knows what. Uh, you know, I mean, the world is... The world's a pretty dangerous place, and I think we do a fairly good job on a daily basis of making ourselves feel like we have a little more control than we actually do. You know, many of us, for many of us, the tragic events that we see kind of play out in the news or on social media, they tend to be far from us, not only physically far from us, like in other places in the world, but emotionally far from us. You know, we read about them and we see them on the news or hear about them in podcasts and they just seem distant. They seem like somebody else's story. We're not too affected by most of them for too long a period of time before we get back to our normal lives. But then, in the middle of the illusions of safety and control that we oftentimes live within, something happens to us or to our families. Someone we love dies. We get a call from a doctor delivering news that we never wanted to hear. Our parents or our children wound us with their words or their decisions or their actions. Our relationships fall apart. Our jobs are lost. Something occurs in our lives that shatters these illusions of control and safety. And we are left with deep longings in our hearts for repair and for restoration, for reconciliation, for a different reality than the one we find ourselves living within. I truly believe that so many of the questions being asked to us as Christians by the non-Christians in our Western context, that many of those questions have less to do with non-Christians asking us to prove our Christian claims, prove to me God is real, prove to me that Christ resurrected from the dead, prove to me this or that. Those questions still remain. It's important we wrestle with those, but they're, those, are the less, those are not the common questions in our day and age. But the common questions being asked of by non-Christians to us now are not prove to me this. They're more, show me why this even matters. Demonstrate to me why Christianity, why the claims of Christ even matter. I'm doing all right on my own, my own life. To take an idea from Christopher Watkin, who Eric has been walking through in his equipped class, to address the questions our neighbors are asking, 
We must present to them not necessarily more empirical information, but a better story, a better narrative than the one they find themselves living within and clinging to. And if we're going to take this message of the real Jesus to Birmingham and beyond, which is the final statement in our mission statement, our vision statement as a church, we ourselves have to believe we have a better story. We have a better narrative to offer the world than the one they cling to. And in the midst of this broken, unsafe, and scary world that we live in, a world filled with lives that can change at the drop of a hat simply from a phone call, Every human being has deep internal longings for realities that the world cannot produce. Our neighbors are searching for peace and stability and protection and comfort and unity. And they're trying to make sense of what they're seeing around them. Possessing all of these deep yearnings of the human heart that we all understand, that we all know about. But they're trying to find those yearnings satiated in institutions and ideas in this world. As C.S. Lewis says in Mere Christianity, if I find in myself desires nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is I was made for another world. Revelation 7 gives us a glimpse into a coming reality that requires, doesn't require a lot of explanation. This is not a text that we want to explain away, but it's a text we want to enter into. And we're able to see through the Apostle John here into the present and future realities of a God who sits on a throne and of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And I want to ask you something. This, I want to ask you to do something this morning that's a little different. If you're new with us, this is not normally how sermons go, um, but I'm going to do it today and could crash and burn. We're going to see. You know, Revelation, as a whole, is a book that oftentimes requires a lot of explanation, right? It's full of symbols and images, and, and there are times and places to do that, one of those places being in the pulpit, no doubt. But our text for today doesn't require too much of that. You know, sometimes... Preachers, myself included, sometimes we can explain away a text to the point where we lose the awe and the wonder of it. And I hate that that happens, but it sometimes happens. So this morning, because we have a shorter time together, because I want to spend some time praying at the end of our time together for our vision statement as a church, because we have a shorter time this morning, what I want to ask you to do is I want you to experience Revelation 7 to put yourselves in the midst of this throne room with the Apostle John. So rather than talk about our strategy for missions at Emmanuel Church, which we will do at a later date, I want us to be consumed right now with a vision of God's majesty that will stir us up to worship and to glory in the God who propels us to the nations to make that glory known. I want us to see the end of the story, the better story that we believe, the better outcome we know is coming. I want to let that end drive us to be willing to lay our lives down to make this gospel known in Birmingham and beyond. And so wherever you're sitting, you can choose to listen in whatever way you want. You can close your eyes. 
You can sit there, hands open. You can close your Bibles. There's no notes today. I'm just gonna tell you a story of Revelation 7, and I want you to enter into it with me. So however you choose to do it, I ask you just to try and fix your mind, fix your eyes on this coming reality in Revelation chapter 7. The human heart yearns for peace. We have a God who made us, who brings peace and loves peace. In a present reality filled with bloodshed and strife, we fix our eyes to what's coming to this throne room. Revelation 7, filled with men and women from every tribe, tongue, language on the planet. Men and women who've been divided since Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Nations represented around this throne who've been at war, people groups around this throne who for centuries have had deep animosity and hatred towards one another. Around the throne are Russians and Ukrainians, Israelis and Palestinians, Chinese and Taiwanese, white, black, and brown. Those who've had centuries and millennia of strife and warfare are now finally united in Jesus. And these men and women from these nations, they're clothed in white robes and they're holding palm branches in their hands. These palm branches bring to mind the Feast of Tabernacles in the Old Testament. The feast celebrating the ingathering of the harvest when the people of God would celebrate the Lord for his kindness and providing the nourishment they needed. And now the greatest harvest has taken place. The ingathering of the nations because of Christ has now taken place. There's no more need for laborers in the harvest for the harvest has finally and fully been collected. And as our eyes behold this coming reality of peace, we also feel in our hearts this desire for unity. It's one thing for war to end. It's quite another for there to be unity going forward. But as we're thinking on these things, these nations that we're beholding with our eyes, these men and women, they begin to open their mouths and declare the same thing. And these nations represented, they're all crying out with a unified, loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. For all of their differences, one thing now unites them, and it's worship. Worship of the God who sovereignly saved them in his grace. as they behold the author of their salvation seated upon the throne. They cannot help but lift their unified voices in one chorus of praise for God's grace in saving them from the power of their great enemy. And we find ourselves joining in that song. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ for our salvation, we share the same song. We declare the same message. Our salvation belongs to the Lord, our God, and to the Lamb. And we are caught up in the worship, for we too have experienced this salvation. And as this chorus is proclaimed and this chorus subsides, the angels surrounding the throne, they cannot help but look at this 
peace-filled, unified people. And they cannot help but fall on their faces in worship as well. For around the throne, these angels are beholding the culmination of God's plan from before time even began. A redeemed people from all tribes of the earth worshiping God for their salvation. And they, the angels, cry out as they behold this eternal reality. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And as this chorus fades, one of the elders around the throne approaches John with a question. John, all these men and women in white robes from all these different nations, who do you think they are? Where do you think they've come from? John gazes at this elder and defers to him for the answer to which the elder responds, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And as we hear this explanation, our hearts are filled with joy. For we too, once again, find common ground with these men and women. For each of us has a deep yearning for redemption. For each of our lives has been filled with trouble and tribulation. Each of us has made mistakes. We've stained our garments, so to speak. With the sins of our past, some of us don't feel that our stains can ever be washed out that our clothes are forever somewhat spoiled because of our past sins. But no. This elder tells John, he tells us, that as, worship, as we worship around the throne, no stains remain. The robes being worn have no remnants of past failure. They have no blemish or splotch or taint or smudge, for these robes have that we, Don, have paradoxically been washed white in the crimson blood of Jesus. We have washed them in the fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. In our hearts, longing for redemption, they are finally and fully satisfied in Christ. And as we're pondering this truth, the elder continues speaking to John. He says, therefore, because they are now wearing robes washed in white by the blood of the Lamb, these men and women from all nations are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple forever. And that yearning we've always felt for purpose that our hearts have desired during our days in this world is finally and fully satisfied. For our purpose is now found in being a kingdom of priests to our God forever and ever. For the God who saved us is now the one we serve as we do the priestly work in his temple forever. We have an eternal purpose that is far greater than anything we could ever long for here in this life. And as we are serving in this temple, as priests to our God, God's presence fills the temple. He's with us. He's near us. All the questions we've asked of the Lord in the darkness of the night, with our heads resting on tear-stained pillows, wondering if he's even listening, 
he's even near, if he even cares, all those questions will be alleviated for he will be near us forever. His very presence will provide the protection from danger that our hearts have always longed for. No one can hurt us anymore. No one can abuse us anymore. No one can ridicule us anymore. No one can belittle us anymore. No one can let us down anymore. No one can take from us anymore. No one can disappoint us anymore. No one can disrespect us anymore. For the Lord, our God, will shelter us with his presence. No danger or trouble will ever come near to harm us, for our God will be our protector. The protector we've always longed for. And the elder, he keeps talking to John as if that's not enough. He keeps speaking to John and our hearts continue to find their satisfaction and their completion in Christ. For the elder says, they shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. And when he says these words, we hear a rising shout of praise from our brothers and sisters who've lived through extreme poverty and malnourishment, and famine, and plague. We hear a shout of praise coming from their lips for their physical nourishment will forever be satisfied in the eternal temple of the Lord. They won't have to watch their kids starve to death anymore. They won't have to drink water filled with bacteria anymore. And no natural disaster of this created world will take life anymore, but they too will find their fulfillment in Christ. And then we hear the elder cap off everything he said with a final truth that just makes our hearts rise in joy. For the lamb in the midst of the throne, he will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Countless tears of grief and pain and loss and heartache and regret and remorse and sorrow. The great shepherd of the sheep will bend his loving knees, look us in the eyes with compassion and love and personally wipe those tears from our faces, never to be shed again. And those hands that reach up and wipe away our tears will see the scars from those nails. And as we gaze at his face, around his head, we'll see the wounds from those thorns that pierced his brow. And we will always be reminded that he shed his blood so that we would no longer have to shed our tears. All glory be to his name. This is where we're going, Emmanuel Church. This is the end, this is the future. This is the final chapter of the story, the better story we believe. The world currently can feel like a dangerous, unsafe place, a place where our deep heart yearnings find no rest, but a day is coming in Christ and all of our heart's restlessness will finally and fully find their rest in him. Emmanuel Church desires to be a diverse family of disciples living to make the real Jesus known in Birmingham and beyond. 
Do we believe this story is worth taking to Birmingham and beyond? I know I do. I'd love to spend the next few minutes praying towards that end. So I'm going to ask the guys to come up and begin leading us. We're going to enter into a time of prayer now. Most nights have this rhythm of sitting on my front porch. doesn't matter really how cold it is or how hot it is. I sit there. And for about 20 minutes after I put the kids down, I kind of just reorient myself in some ways. And one of the things I'm constantly reminded of in those moments at night is that I'm only one person. I can look back throughout my day and see all the things I should have done. I can look back throughout my day and see all the things I did do that I shouldn't have done. All the ways that I sought to minister to you that fell short. I see all these things and the Lord just very gently reminds me you're one person. You're one person. And I'm reminded in those moments that one, I am one person and two, that even when I'm not working, God is still working. And that when we come to him in prayer, we're asking him to work when we can no longer work. And so I desire for us now, just where you are, if you want to circle up maybe with people around you, you can do that. Um, That would be great. If you want to sit where you are, that's great. You can pray out loud together. But I want us just to pray for a variety of different things, some different prayer points, just where you are. First thing I want us to pray for is desire. Before we started the first week, this sermon series, desire. That God would place in us a desire, holy desires and affections to live out our vision statement. To live out what we say we believe, not out of duty, but out of delight. This whole sermon series has been about delight. So just pray now, whether you're with people, by yourself, just pray now that the Lord cultivates in our hearts holy desires to see this church and our lives embody the gospel. Just pray that where you are now. diverse family of disciples. So let's spend a couple of minutes praying that the Lord produces in us uh, a deep longing for our church to reflect the kingdom. To reflect the kingdom in how we look. To reflect the kingdom in how we love. To reflect the kingdom in how we learn as followers of Christ. So let's pray to that end now. desire to make the real Jesus known, not any imposter, not any false idea of who we think Christ to be. We desire to make known that Jesus from the word of the Lord, God's word from the Bible. So pray now that the Lord produces in us deep desires for his word. 
we as a church always preach the gospel. We don't abandon that. That we cling to it even in our moments of weakness and struggle and pain. desire to make the real Jesus known in Birmingham and beyond. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. So pray now that the Lord gives us great courage and boldness, kindness and grace to take the gospel across the street and to take the gospel to the ends of the earth for his glory. Father, I ask you that you fill us up with the Holy Spirit. First, in the Holy Spirit, that these desires are produced, cultivated, grow. And I, we can't manufacture these things in our own hearts. And so we fall upon you and you completely to produce them in us. Father, in the, in the midst of our all the needs represented around this body, broken lives, broken marriages, broken dreams, broken habits, broken families. We need you. And we, I can stand up here for 35 minutes every week, speak a bunch of words and produce nothing apart from the Holy Spirit. So I pray now, oh God, for greater desires for your majesty and your fame and your glory than desires for anything else we could ever want in this life. Desires that our own lives reflect the gospel, desires that this church reflects the gospel, desires that people in our communities, in our neighborhoods, in our city, in our world here, believe, trust the gospel. You're not asking us to change the world. You're asking us to be faithful. You're going to change the world. So, Father, I pray that as desire to be a diverse family of disciples living to make the real Jesus known in Birmingham and beyond, that you keep us faithful. Faithful to love you, faithful to obey you, faithful to love your people, faithful to love our spouses, faithful to love our children. Faithful to love those that are hard to love. We know what's coming for the people of God. 
So may we live our lives with great courage and boldness in light of the end. And may we take great confidence that Revelation 7 will happen, for you have sovereignly ordained it to happen. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for taking our ruined, tarnished, broken, dead lives and washing them in the fountain filled with the blood of a man.